Whether the concept of home church is necessary or merely particularism. What's she going to do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, I'm going to deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What do you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Kane in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. Welcome to Walk the Earth. I'm Greg. I don't normally begin Walk the Earth episodes with a lot of housekeeping, but from time to time it's probably a good idea. Walk the Earth can be heard on Stitcher, Stitcher Smart Radio, Stitcher.com, or the Stitcher app, available both in iTunes and Android stores. It's a good way to listen to podcasts on the go. Just by downloading the Stitcher app, you can tune in to shows like Inappropriate Conversations and Walk the Earth, both of which can be found on the same feed under Inappropriate Conversations. This is consistent with how I manage the website as well. At www.inappropriateconversations.org, you can find both Walk the Earth and Inappropriate Conversations there. I interact with listeners on Twitter at IC underscore Greg, and there's a page for both Walk the Earth and Inappropriate Conversations on Facebook. While the Inappropriate Conversations page there on Facebook is listed as a cause, the one for Walk the Earth is listed as a a society and culture website. All the same, these are ways that you can interact with Inappropriate Conversations and Walk the Earth. I've had a fairly busy year so far this year when it comes to spending time on other shows. At the very beginning of the year, I joined in with uh, the year in review from last year for the greatest events in sporting history. And more recently, I've been on a two-part episode of Greetings from Nowhere and a two-part episode of Take Him With You. The one from Greetings from Nowhere was recorded and released in March to the feed. So if you've got a podcatcher, look for it in late March, both of them. And uh, ironically, and somewhat humorously, at the website, www.visitnowhere.com, those two shows were posted there on blog post entries on April Fool's Day. <laughs> Here in the last couple of weeks, uh, at takehimwithyou.com slash WordPress, you'll find um, Getting to Know Greg Part 1 and 2, uh, one conversation over the course of more than an hour, split into two parts to be released on podcasts on consecutive weeks, by Rick and Amy Moyer. I think it says something that these guest appearances lately have been split into two parts and released over the course of two different shows. Podcasts, many of them, mine included, frankly, having a goal of staying in that one hour or less time frame. I don't always hit it, but when I break it, I break it on purpose. Likewise for uh, Greetings from Nowhere, trying to be in and around an hour. And I think it tells you that I tend to speak at length. The interview last year on Tech Support Rich from SimplySyndicated.com, that one went longer than an hour, too. It's probably one of the longer Tech Support Rich interview shows that you can find at SimplySyndicated.com, and you can listen to it if you're part of Simply Everything. It's enough to say, though, that it's probably amazing, based on that information, that somehow Walk the Earth has been shorter, and I've been consistent at keeping the show to the short focus on a single question. And that is going to be true today. Now, I know anybody who downloads podcasts can look at the timestamp on a show and see exactly how long it is. So it's never made any sense. I've never been very successful at predicting at the onset of a recording session how long a show is going to be. 
But if this one looks like it's a normal length show, my prediction at the start of answering this question is it's because I'm going to put some bonus material at the end. I think answering this one particular question for me is going to be easy, in part because I've laid some reasonably good groundwork along the way. In previous episodes of Walk the Earth, I've talked at some detail about the concept of particularism. I viewed particularism as a sin, as a matter of fact, and kind of talked about it in that way. If I go straight from memory, I'm sure I mentioned it in Walk the Earth 7, talking about whether there's any one particular right way of doing a ritual or a sacrament. So it would have started there and probably carried through. So I'm not going to define the term particularism today, except to say that it is a fallacy of of noting or presuming or using a false appeal to authority to insist that there's one right way of doing things. So I've spent the past year going to lots and lots of churches, whereas if you look at my average attendance in previous years, 15 previous years for the sake of argument, you'll find that the average number of different churches I've attended in any one of those years has probably got to be two. Because for any one year that I didn't visit any other church other than my own home church, there might have been another year where I went to church services with a friend or was out of town visiting family or friends and visited church services there. For every year that that might have happened more than once, I'm sure there was another year where it didn't happen at all. So I'm going to call the running average prior to the beginning of Walk the Earth as an average of two different churches a year, where, of course, the lion's share of church visits, 45, 50 of those visits, was to one church, the same church where I was a member. So it's odd for me to be going to a lot of different churches, But it's equally odd for me not to have a home church. So, similar concept there. And I think at this point, as we're so close to going down the membership path, it makes sense to ask the question of not just a question I've asked previously, maybe whether membership should focus on a single church or whether you should always be moving around. I'm going to grant that I should always be moving around and have a much more open attitude toward visiting other churches even after becoming a member of a new church home going forward. But there's kind of a flip side to that, and that is whether the concept of having a home church at all is necessary. Is the notion of having a place where you're a member in some way wrong? And I'm going to say the answer to that question is no, meaning I'm going to say the answer to this either or here is that having a home church is probably necessary. Now, I've softened it a little bit. I no longer believe that it absolutely is necessary because I think that the the mindset that I would have brought to say it's absolutely necessary, say five or ten years ago I would have felt that way, that mindset came to me not from my own spiritual journey, but from things I was taught by my parents and by a previous generation when I was a younger member of the church. But if you begin asking those questions again, looking for the epiphany, in other words, exploring the question and saying, you know what, I'm going to prove it once more. There's a couple of ways that this kind of ties into to my theology and even really my politics. If you uh, First, if you look just to the scripture and say, well, what did Paul have to say? And what Paul tells the Bereans in the book of Acts is that it's not just okay, it's not just acceptable that they raise questions and challenge the things they've been taught and read the scriptures and seek, seek the answers to the questions again and again and again. He calls that good that they should examine themselves and examine the scriptures, and doing so is good. Also, if you go all the way back to Inappropriate Conversations number 7, Boiling Point was part of the title of that show, 
That fable that I wrote years ago called Boiling Point talks about just exactly this concept of, of how great it is, not just okay, but how great it is to raise questions again, to run through the scientific proof, to conduct the same experiment with fresh data again, because it either is going to reveal something brand new, a moment of epiphany, which is where I think I am on this question, or it's at least going to confirm in a way that, again, Paul praised the Bereans for doing. Inappropriate Conversations as a show can also be reached on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com, which is free to anybody as a browser or a lurker. I can be found there as IC underscore Greg. This is very consistent with my email address, in fact, IC underscore Greg at hotmail.com. But the IC underscore Greg page of SoundCloud has tracks on them, and the tracks are really designed to be clips. It's sort of a way of going beyond just the comments section and the show notes on the website and giving people a clip or sort of an audio hint is what the show's about. And the number one reason I've got for doing that is that I've shared a lot of my own fiction and poetry and essays on historic episodes on inappropriate conversations. And though I grant right up front that the sound quality of the earlier shows can be sketchy, it is a really good way of looking back to Inappropriate Conversation 7 and listening to just the boiling point fable shared there, just the fiction, without the commentary before and after, and in this case, without the different drummer. So I think that gives me a good laying of the land in terms of different ways that walk the earth and inappropriate conversations are available for interaction. And so to get back to the main question, which really comes down to one of membership, is you know, does it make sense to have a home church? And to sort of get back to some of the questions I've hinted at in previous shows about membership. Now, to me, membership is a, a distinction between a formal versus informal level of communication. Maybe two shows back on Walk the Earth, I introduced that concept. Because my wife and I, and really in some ways my whole family, have been informally participating with this church that meets at a nearby health and wellness center and previously met at a shrine temple for months. And so there really isn't any point where we're um, walking in the door as non-members and then suddenly becoming members. This journey into membership is going to seem so gradual that I will frankly be delighted if there are people in the congregation who the day that we take whatever formal step is necessary, whether that is standing up in front of the entire congregation and introducing ourselves or whatever it is, I'm hoping that there's some people who are surprised that we weren't already members, that some people, maybe other visitors, will not have any sense of, of this particular church we're going to, Harmony Springs Christian Church. They won't know at any time when we weren't already there, or it will feel like we've been there all along. That, to me, that would actually be a goal. But there was a question in a church meeting about a month ago, and it was an interesting question because there was some discussion about the, the minutiae, the detail, the bylaws of the church itself, that those things are being refreshed. There's a lot of conversation about it. And really, a lot of it, to me, was focused not on the question of formal versus informal participation, but on active versus passive versus inactive presence. So what did it mean to be a member? And we, I think, identified ourselves, and I think we did so wisely because it's true, as non-members who are actively participating. So informal membership, active participation. And according to the bylaws, you know, in their previous state, 
that would have meant that there would have been an asterisk next to us, that there were certain things we probably couldn't do. And and none of this makes me uncomfortable. I'm totally fine not voting in a on a church referendum. You know, one of the things that I think I struggle with the most, leaving the church we had gone to a year or so ago, is that I'm kind of done with the business of the church. Kind of done with committee work, certainly done with leadership positions, not interested in the politics. The politics of politics annoy me enough. The politics of church drive me completely insane. I don't need it. Don't have time for it. So if somebody says, well, hey, you're not, you're not officially a member right now. You haven't taken whatever final step is needed. Therefore, you can't vote on this issue, that issue, or the other issue. I say, praise the Lord. <laughs> I don't need to. But at some point, it does make sense for us to move from informal participation to formal participation. But the irony for me is, I don't think that's going to change how active we are. So the rules, if you dig into the minutiae, and this is probably true of any church, if you say you're a member, if you attend at least once or twice a year, if you give at least once or twice a year, it could be a... Because no one's really supposed to know how much you give, it could be five bucks, right? But showing up once and giving... Uh, writing a check for $5 gives you all the privileges of membership. Whereas showing up 52 weeks a year and giving thousands of dollars, perhaps, and, and not in any way um, signing your name on the dotted line, making that transfer of letter that I've talked about before, means that you're out. And it's that whole inness and outness that's always bothered me. If I'm going to a church that has no real concept of inness and outness, and this church, by the way, is really close to that, it's kind of exciting, then it doesn't actually matter. But the the conversation did lead to the, kind of went into the hypothetical, sort of what's a non-member allowed to do versus what's a member allowed to do. And the only thing that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth, or a slightly bad taste in my mouth, was my knowledge that there were people who are members of this church that I've never seen even once. And they maintain their membership simply by sending in a check once a year, or showing up on Christmas Day. And that person's viewed as being more fully participating in the eyes of some than maybe they should. Again, there's a difference between formal versus informal participation and active versus passive presence. To me, the more passive or inactive your presence is, the, the less value I think I would attach to your membership, whether that membership is formal, informal, or even something in between. On that Take Him With You podcast, the first one, I believe, a week or so ago, the question was raised to me, why do we go to church? Why do my wife and I attend? Why leave one church and find another? Why do walk the earth at all? And it came about because of a question that was raised on a previous Take Him With You podcast, where they actually shared some information that had been shared online by another writer, basically saying that there's this millennial generation that isn't all that interested in membership at all. And what do we do as a church when we have people who want to participate, perhaps even actively and regularly participate, who, if they were told the only way they could continue their participation was to quote-unquote join, you wouldn't get a new member in the formal traditional sense of the word. You'd probably lose their participation because they don't necessarily want to be part of a club. They want to be part of a kingdom. And that's a huge difference. So I start with the first assumption that this millennial generation, described at least as described in this article, they're not unconnected to the church. They're not afraid of the church. They haven't dismissed the church. They just, maybe, maybe they want to do church differently, would be the way to word it. 
and maybe doing church differently is less about counting the numbers. Number of people signed up on the membership rolls, number of people attending church services each week, number of people participating in small groups like Sunday school, the dollars in terms of the amount of giving. Maybe they're less interested in those numbers and more interested in the number of people who are hungry and being fed, the number of people who are threatened with violence who are protected, those types of things, the kinds of things that I believe Jesus would actually be more passionate about. So the Moyers asked me straight up front, why are you part of a church? I'll leave the big answer for the Take Him With You show. I'll share instead the small one, the easy one, the first answer I gave, because I feel like it's really important when Christians are asking other Christians questions that you give them the Christian answer right up front, and then give them the one that is more Christ follower second. Now, anybody who's you know been on the uh, Facebook pages for inappropriate conversations and walk the earth, walk the earth in particular, has probably seen some articles I've shared where others have made a distinction between Christian slash religious and Christ follower. But to me, the Jesus way doesn't necessarily, you don't necessarily need credentials. To me, you don't have to show up at the food bank and operate under the auspices of representing a church. You can just show up at the food bank. That that would be kind of the distinction that I would make. But I gave him the answer first was, listen, I, I feel it's very important to have a home church and to be part of a congregation and to go to church because I think more good can be done by a collective group of people with a variety of spiritual gifts than can be done by just one individual. Now, of course, historically, we've got exceptions to this. Jesus of Nazareth being a great example of somebody who by himself possessed all the spiritual gifts necessary to accomplish anything, and yet he had a team. He had followers, in his case, because he was a leader. But the Bible demonstrates this notion of having not just 12 people, there were more than 12 people who accompanied Jesus from place to place, who helped accomplish things to get things done. But even if we did talk about it just from a discipleship perspective, he had the 12 disciples. And to me, the message there in Scripture and the message that I've actually seen with my own church participation over the years is that I don't possess every spiritual gift I need to possess to accomplish everything I need to accomplish. Therefore, surrounding myself with people who are perhaps better at organizing, better at cooking, better at some of even the mundane things like, like cleaning or driving or operating power tools, it doesn't do me any good to be one of those people who goes on a mission trip to, um, say, a third world country to help them build a school when I don't know anything about building a school. The last thing I ever want to be is one of those Christians participating in voluntary short-term missionary work where because my presence is helpful and because my money is helpful, they're going to let me dig a well. And when I go to sleep at night, somebody's going to spend the overnight hours redigging the well because I'm not competent to dig a well. But people fear that I won't give and I won't pray for them and I won't participate with them unless I have this illusion that I'm somehow responsible for digging the well. And no, it's, it's like the, the scene in the TV show Friends where Phoebe is contacted by a record label because they want her to record the song Smelly Cat which is one of her quirky little ditties. And she goes in, she sings the song in the studio, and then later um, the song gets released as a music video where Phoebe's voice is dubbed and some better, more talented singer is put in her place. And Phoebe doesn't recognize that. Phoebe hears the music video with the professional singer singing her words and thinks, wow, my voice is amazing. I never knew. 
Do you go to sleep that night having done a sincerely focused but somewhat bad job of digging a well? Wake up the next morning after being as tired as you would be after digging a well and coming out and looking at the work in the light of the day and saying, wow, I did a massively fantastic job because no one's going to have the heart to tell you that, no, you kind of did a terrible job and overnight people, other people, other missionaries, other locals came in and fixed it up for you. I don't want to be that guy. If I go somewhere and I'm responsible for some home building activity, I want to be around people who are really, really skilled and talented at building homes because I'm not. Now, that one tidy little example, that you know, subtle critique of what a lot of churches consider to be their mission work leads me to the, the notion that you know, as, a, as a church, a functioning healthy church is going to be filled with a variety of spiritual gifts. As a Christian, I believe it's going to be filled with a variety of spiritual gifts because the Holy Spirit is going to lead Christians with the right combination of gifts together to serve together. But it could also just be the happenstance of gathering large groups of people. And then when there's a certain critical mass of, of numeric participation, you're going to get the variety you need to accomplish things. Either way, whether you look at it from a spiritual perspective or from a humanist-type perspective, it doesn't matter. The point stays the same. In order to accomplish the bigger things that I feel in my heart I need to play a role in accomplishing, I first need to recognize that I can't accomplish them by myself. And therefore, this notion of having a home church, a base of operations, a place where people know me well enough to know without being told that something has probably broken my heart. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because I'm not there right now. I've roamed for 14, 15 months now. But when this process of roaming is over, and when another 14 or 15 months of continued participation are behind me, and a commitment sort of has been made myself to a congregation, my congregation also to my family, I would expect to get to a place where if a certain piece of news hit the headlines, there would be people in that church who would know without having to be told, and who certainly would know just from looking at me, no matter how well I might try to disguise it, that my heart has been broken by the information. You know, it could be as simple as, hey, there's certain actors and performers and musicians that I admire, and if something happened to one of those musicians, is there going to be anybody who knows me well enough to know, hey, this is one of Greg's personal heroes. This is one of Greg's different drummers on his inappropriate conversation show. And I know that, I know him, and therefore I know he's hurting right now. Or it could be that the Supreme Court of the United States has done something that, for whatever reason, a variety of Christians think is the greatest thing that's ever happened, where I think it's a betrayal, not just of me as an individual, because... I think my value as an individual has been called into question by people with a great deal of authority, but also that my nation has been betrayed, and in some ways, my faith has been betrayed, because it's been devalued to the extent that when Jesus says, if any one of you believes in me, he must pick up his cross and follow, well, that's been, it's been tainted a little bit. I know what Jesus meant when he said, any one of you, he meant me. He meant other people individually as well. I don't think he meant a club. I don't think he meant an organization. I know he no longer meant a government. That's the reason he said it the way he said it. And yet here we are, with our government, acting on an assumption that maybe Jesus really meant a government, extending that logic not to the individual, where Jesus put it, not to the government, where the Hebrew people before him put it, but to something altogether different than that. But right now I go to a church where I don't think very many people know how how badly I'm struggling with that. That to me, this wasn't just a, 
a politically challenging moment. This was a faith-challenging moment. It's the kind of thing that could make me walk away from active participation in collective group Christianity altogether. That's kind of a big deal. Because I've said that the answer to the question this week we're facing on Walk the Earth is whether the concept of home church is necessary. And I've said, yeah, it's necessary. But if I was at a home church that took the wrong point of view about this one particular issue, it might be necessary for me to look for a different home church. It's that big of a deal. And I think everybody in my small group, the people from the church I used to go to, where we've continued to try to meet every other week, sometimes that can't happen. Sometimes a month goes by, but we've tried to meet every other week. I think they already know that this is going to be a problem for me. And it concerns me a little bit that I might be worshiping on a regular basis these days with a congregation of people who don't know that. Now, the solution is not to casually declare that this notion of joining a church is just particularism and we should dispense with it. No, the notion is finding a new home church. The notion is taking that next step. In Walk the Earth 3, I took a look at the concept of sermon. The question we faced back then was whether sermon is fundamentally the sharing of word and witness. And my personal answer to that question is yes. I was willing to grant, though, that there's a lot of denominations out there who would say that it's more complicated than that. But the church we've been attending at Harmony Springs is trying something this year that I think is very interesting, and I'm glad that I'm here at the time that this is actually kind of happening. It's important that I can be a part of it, and that's what I'm going to do after the break at the end of the show. There are many voices, one faith series going on right now is taking a look at the first letter of John. And earlier in the summer, I got an email, or I think maybe a lot of people did, asking about interest in participating in that, where it takes the concept of sermon beyond just, here's a passage of scripture, uh, let's pray about it and hear what the pastor thinks, but the pastor making time by shortening up both his thoughts and the thoughts of others to include, well, many voices on the topic. So this is, again, something I feel I personally need from a home church, both in terms of hearing from many voices, and perhaps we'll see being one of those voices that participates. So, again, to answer the question, and to get to the end of the regular segment here for Walk the Earth, I'm going to try to do a dry run of what I might say here in a week or so for the fourth chapter of John. But first, it's worth restating. Whether the concept of home church is necessary or merely particularism, I would have felt that it was so strongly necessary that the question was silly a couple of years ago. Now, I think it's just necessary. Perhaps not as strongly as I once held it to be. If and as you were led, please join me in prayer. O loving Lord, you have given us an example of doing ministry as a collective group. Twelve disciples following Jesus. A replacement for Judas so there could be twelve apostles sent out intentionally. But you, Lord Jesus, it's saying at times during your ministry that those who aren't against you are for you and let others speak your words. Previous to that, twelve tribes in Israel. So, Lord, I know that you want us to, you know, to do ministry as a group, that therefore the concept of having a church home makes some sense. 
And I, I say this because I believe that you have imposed upon me the necessary humility. You have reminded me, dear Lord, that I don't have all the spiritual gifts I need to do this on my own. And I thank you for surrounding, surrounding me at the right place and at the right time with the right people. Lord Jesus, I'm very comfortable calling those people a home church. In your holy name we pray. Amen. What happened this morning, man, I agree, it was peculiar. But water into wine, I... All shapes and sizes, Vincent. You shouldn't talk to me that way, man. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. Next on Walk the Earth, whether the Sunday school calendar should follow the school year, including a dormant period for summer months. Normally this is where I'd say thanks for listening, but instead, I want to jump into a word of scripture, and then see if there's something I can say about that scripture in approximately five minutes. As I noted earlier in the show, and as these other podcast appearances recently have clearly called to my attention, functioning within a just five minutes ballpark is not one of my strengths. Hi there, this is Rick Moyer, the host of the Take Him With You weekly podcast. My wife Amy and I talk every week about all sorts of cool geeky things going on around our house. Plus, we have some uh, positive words of encouragement and then a subject every week that is sure to uh, make you think a little bit and hopefully encourage you for the week to come. That's our goal. Visit us at TakeHimWithYou.com. You can also find us on iTunes. Just search for Take Him With You. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Thanks. Here is 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. 
And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. My wife doesn't think I can do this in five minutes. <laughs> I need to simplify. But that is the point that John is making here. We need to simplify. We sometimes forget that Jesus came to focus our attention, to simplify in certain ways. Here's what I mean. It's a concept we've heard many times. I'm going to go back to what I think is its original source, a Roman named Tacitus. Tacitus is an important figure for us because he is one of the uh, independent, one of the non-Christian corroborators of the life of Jesus. But elsewhere, he had this to say, and I think it's very telling. The more corrupt the nation the more the laws. That is exactly the opposite of simplify. I see this at work all the time. I see it with dress codes in particular. This is the time of year. We're working in a store that has a distribution center, where the distribution center has very strict policies about open-toed shoes, OSHA-related safety policies. There are some people who hit a time of year where they choose to wear sandals and therefore cannot cut through the warehouse on the way to get to a meeting (laughs) because they're not allowed in the warehouse with open-toed shoes. That would be one dress code question. But there's actually a dress code flap that comes up every year or two over the distinction between sandals and flip-flops. What is a flip-flop? It amazes me that a billion-dollar company actually spends time answering this question every few years. But believe it or not, because of the way dress codes are written, again, the more things break down, the more rules you have, right? We end up having a robust discussion about the difference between a sandal and a flip-flop. And I'll confess to you, I don't know the difference. I also don't know the difference between stretch pants and yoga pants and sweatpants. Notice how all these things focus on women, by the way? But men should care, too, because if the dress code has to be tightened up too much, it can get dre- tightened up all the way to the point of being suit and a tie every day all the time. I used to wear a jacket to work. Every day, all the time. In fact, when I was in stores, I remember having a a customer actually ask me why I still had my suit coat and tie on if I was changing ceiling tiles and using a power drill to reattach ceiling decor. And I had to tell them in the most positive, pleasant, professional way possible that I I didn't word it this way, but the answer was basically, I don't want to get fired. That company's policy had become so strict because people were taking so many liberties with the all-store managers wear a suit and tie on the sales floor that if you were doing activity on the sales floor, including changing ceiling tiles or moving fixtures, you had to have the sport coat on, you had to have the tie on. Now, 
to me, it's a little bit crazy. Well, actually, at one point, it got so crazy that we're in the back room messing with the plumbing, trying to sort out a leak underneath the bathroom sink. Guess what I was wearing? You got it. Suit coat, tie, dress pants, the whole nine yards. Because you could get fired if you weren't wearing a suit and tie at all times in the store. Again, the more corrupt the situation, the more the laws. Because we don't have common sense. The standard should be much simpler than that. A work standard should say, be professional, support the mission statement, and do the right thing. If you're being professional, supporting the mission, and doing the right thing, that should lead you to the answer of what's a sandal and what's a flip-flop. How does this apply to Christianity? Well, Paul may have summed it up best in Romans chapter 13. Let me just read verbatim verses 8 through 10. This is Paul from the letter to the Romans. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not commit murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul was citing two precedents there. He was citing Moses, the book of Leviticus, and Jesus. Frankly, he was citing Jesus from lots of places, the parable of the Good Samaritan, but all over the Gospels, really. I'm sure when John, our letter writer, says in his Gospel, at the end of the Gospel, that no library could hold all the other accounts and stories about Jesus, well, there would be even more references and examples of Jesus saying things there, like, love your neighbor as you love yourself, love one another even as I have loved you. And real love makes real sacrifices on behalf of others. This is what Jesus says about love. So we look to John in the fourth chapter of his first epistle. This passage, uh, verses 7 through 21, John is essentially saying the exact same thing. No one ever asked the Human Resources Department for a dress code to help them stand in judgment over themselves and their own personal ability to be professional, support the mission of the organization, and do the right thing. No, it's about standing in judgment over others. Sometimes in a condescending way, sometimes out of a fear of confrontation. A lot of the conversation in my work about flip-flops versus sandals came from managers just not being willing to walk up to somebody and say that's inappropriate footwear. Trying to avoid the confrontation, you'd rather have a whole lot of rules you could point to. So it can be about the rule and not about my judgment that what I'm seeing somebody wear to work on a particular day may not be professional. It may fall outside of the mission of our organization. Or at the very least, um, it's not doing the right thing, especially if you're trying to do something in the distribution center. It's definitely not doing the right thing. Either way, John reminds us of a stark truth about loving others. Perfect love drives out all fear. This is how John's letter says, we must love and we must live. Amen. And thanks for listening. Small town quacks and coolness, yeah. We're sending you a warm greeting from nowhere. Two best friends with a lot to say.
say about small town life in the USA. Christina and Nicole got gossip to share, and they're sending every one of you greetings from nowhere.